thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for the chance to read your word and study your word. We ask you to guide and lead and show us what you would want us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Isaiah chapter 30. We covered 18 last week, but I want to start at 18. Uh, before this, we were talking about God bringing judgment upon his people. And then at 18, it starts making a turn, turn a little bit. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious unto you at the voice of your cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not your, teach, your teachers be removed into the corner any more, but your eyes shall see your teachers, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk you in it, when you turn to the right and when you turn to the left. You shall defile also the covering of your graven images of silver and the ornaments of your molten images of gold. You shall cast them away as a menstrual cloth. You shall say unto them, uh, to it, get you hence. Then shall he give the rain to your seed that you shall sow the ground wherewith and bread of the increase of the earth. And it shall be fat and plenteous in, in that day shall your cattle feed in the large pastures. Your oxen likewise and the young donkeys that ear the ground shall eat clean provender which has been winnowed in, with a shovel and with the fan. And there shall be upon every high mountain and every high hill rivers and streams of water in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of, of the seven days, and that in the day that the Lord binds up the breach of his people and heals the, the stroke of their wound. All right. We start out here with God bringing mercy and grace, and then we end up at the millennial kingdom as far as I'm concerned when you, when you get to this end. You know, and, and it's an amazing thing to me as we read through these prophets how many of them get into the millennial kingdom when God reigns with great glory for Israel. Uh, I heard one of the pastors this week say that there's more verses about the millennial kingdom than any other event in the scriptures. And the more I'm reading the, the prophets, the more I'm realizing that is probably a true statement. I've never counted them, but it seems like every time I open one of the prophets, I'm reading something about the millennial kingdom within three or four chapters, I'm reading something about the millennial kingdom and God's great blessings upon Israel. And uh, here's one of those ones that lead, you know, start out with God blessing and ends up with a picture of the millennial kingdom. Uh, and everybody knows what the millennial kingdom is. That's a thousand year reign of Christ when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period and he reigns for a thousand years as king of this current world. And, and in the millennial kingdom, we'll be with him. Yeah. We will be taken. We will be taken before the rapture. Uh, the, we will be raptured before the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, we will come back with Christ and reign with him the for the thousand-year reign of Christ. And these 
keep all these verses keep going back to that period. Now, yes, we see, you know, they, they usually start out with God blessing, 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 and then, but you see that blessing getting so great that you go, okay, we've now entered <laughs> into the millennial kingdom. Uh, and there are aspects of this that we're going to look at, and this is a wonderful section. You've probably heard this one quoted at various times, but it's, you know, it starts out that when God we started at 18 because all these curses that have been coming on the people, and it says, and therefore will the Lord wait. And we talked about God waiting. Now, God's patience is an amazing thing, that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore he, will he be exalted, and he will have mercy on, on you, for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for him. And we talked a lot about this last week, but I just wanted to start there. God waits so that he can be gracious. How many times in our lives have, lifetime, you know, as we live for him, has he been gracious to us when we don't deserve it? Nothing about it do we deserve. And, and this is something I have really been thinking a lot about over the last few weeks and months, you know. How many times do I mess up and yet God is there? Uh, you know, we do things and God is there giving us blessing regardless of, you know, the fact that we don't deserve it. You know, we've talked about this, you know, God promises that all things work together for good. And the thing I have pointed out, that is true even when we mess up our life. Even when we're the cause of it, God will work it out for, for something to be good out of it. And that's an amazing thought when you really think about it. Because yeah, that'd be the one place, okay, God, you know, I can understand anything that you allow coming into my life, but the things I mess up, you're going to turn those to good too, or make them for good, not necessarily good, but you're going to turn those for a good thing? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Why? Because of this verse 18, because he is gracious and his mercy so that he can be exalted. You know, and I just, I love the fact that God is that way. His love for us even overcomes what we do wrong. <laughs> and that's an amazing thought. He has so much patience. <laughs> he has patience. He has graciousness. He has mercy. You know, and that love for us is just amazing. You know, I sometimes sit and just try to figure out God's love. And, you know, it just, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> that he loves us in the first place. You know, that he created us knowing that we were going to fail. And then we sing the song, The Love of God, and you know, the one verse in it, you know, if the sky was a scroll and the trees were pens and everybody was a writer and, they, and the ocean was you know, full of ink, you know, ink, the ocean would be drained and we still wouldn't write the majesty of God's love. You know, because his love is so great so abundantly infinite that we can't even comprehend it. Well, but you know, this is why his love is such an example for us. Because even when you have a friend or a spouse that you really love, they can get on your nerves and you go, do I really love this person? You know, you can be pushed just to that point where you go, do I really love this person? Do I really care? God never gets there. God never gets there. He still always loves. No matter how stupid we are, <laughs> he still loves us. You know, and it's like, 
you know, and he's so patient, as was said, you know, he'll, he'll just keep loving, keep loving. And, you know, sometimes we think about, you know, how we get tried sometimes by our own family members, our own, you know, our own friends, or even spouses, you know, and we go, God, I do love them, but, you know, <laughs> you know, just, just, you know, they're just being a pain in the neck right now. Uh, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, because I'm going through, through different things and some of the problems I've caused them, you know, that I've caused myself and it's like, God, I, you know, I've really done some really dumb things and now, I, now I'm really regretting some of the things I've done. And they're not big, you know, massive sins, but they're just things that I did that weren't necessarily faith steps and, you know, okay, God, now, now I'm stuck, you know, I need some advice. <laughs> I need some help, you know, and yet God's there and God's ready to give graciously and bless. And he, still, and he still listens. And it's an amazing thing when I think about, you know, his love and his patience. And here he is, judging Israel, getting ready to judge Israel, but he says, I'm still here. I'm still going to be gracious. And verse 19 says, For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem and shall weep no more. He will be very gracious unto you at the voice of their cry when he shall hear it and he will answer. Now this one is literally Zion is the mountain of Jerusalem. So this is using, remember, Zion is actually a place. Yeah. It's the whole mountain. It's Jerusalem. Poetically, it is Jerusalem. Yeah. But this is talking about the mountain in Jerusalem. Uh, not the new Jerusalem. Not the new Jerusalem in this. No, we're not there yet. But he could actually be talking as well about the new Jerusalem as well. But... Uh, but he says, you shall weep no more. Uh, the people were going to weep and they went into captivity. And you're right, some, in some case, this may be referring to, you know, it may have switched into, and never thought about it, it may have switched in the millennial kingdom sooner than I thought. So I hadn't thought about that, but this may be switching to the millennial kingdom a lot earlier than I was thinking right from the beginning. But you know, this is also the promise to God for us. When we have peace that passes understanding, we actually can live in a place where we don't necessarily weep all that much. Uh, I don't know about the no more part, but how many times do we go through something that would crush, would have crushed us before we knew God and, dro and, and, and drove, uh, driven us to weeping and tears and we're just like, okay, God, I'm just waiting to see what you're going to do from this and I'm putting my faith and trust in you. So I think this is a kind of a two-way thing, but I think you might be right because this is going into the millennial kingdom and it may be talking about the millennial kingdom right off the bat, right off the bat. God says, I've been judged because we're going to see all these other things, but there's some things in there that don't necessarily fit. Uh, and it says he will be gracious. God's graciousness. You know, and, I, and I think a lot about how gracious he is. He listens to us, he hears us, and he answers us. You know, and this is the amazing thing that we can go, and I've, this always stuns me when I think about it, and I don't usually even think about it all the time, but when I do think about it, we have the permission to go before the throne of God and give our petitions to him, and he listens. This was unheard of to, to the average Jew. Okay, now, there were people who really loved God and everything, but the average Jew thought the only place that God would listen to them was at the, tabber, at the, at the temple or the tabernacle, you know, that was where they went. They offered their sacrifices, they, they, were, they were clean, and God would listen to them. 
Outside of that, they never really thought about praying that much to God. It wasn't in their mindset. And yes, there were people that Dave, you know, Daniels and Davids and, and you know, these people. There, there were those that did. But the average Jew, it was just an activity with them. You went to the temple, you could give your prayer. Because I've, I've given to God. <laughs> and it says that God wants to hear. He wants to be gracious. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can go into the throne room of heaven and talk to God at any time that we choose. You know, and this is an amazing thing when you really think about it. You know, how many of us would wish that maybe we could go talk to the president, you know, pick up the phone and even talk to the president? Or, you know, and none of us are ever going to talk to the president, probably. Twitter. Huh? Twitter. Twitter, yeah. Even, I, I will tell you, even if you Twitter, you're not talking to the president. Yeah, his account, he may put some things on there, but if you respond, if he, anything coming in, he's not reading. Yeah, um, which is why even on our, on our website and everything, I don't let responses come back because I don't have time to monitor all the stuff and respond to everything that would come in. Now, I have the email. If anybody wants to email me, and they can, but I don't let comments be made on, our, on, on the messages and everything just because... I don't have time to moderate. If we had somebody who could moderate, I'd probably consider it, but not without that. You know, but, you know, God, we have the ability to go before the, the king of the universe, the other universe out there that might be out there, and he listens. And, he will, and we can come before him at any time. We don't have to make an appointment. We don't have to make, you know, you know, sacrifices, you know, you don't have to give, make sure that you've given your tithes and offerings to be able to give to him. You just go before him. And he listens, and he's, and he's ready to answer. And that's an amazing thing when you really think about that. Most, uh, most religions out there don't have that attitude that you can just come before your, your God without doing something. You have to, you have, to have done something. You, you have to have done something that deserves to be able to come to his presence. And that usually for idols meant to offer a sacrifice. And for many other religions, it's to do something that's a sacrifice. Uh, and I've shared with you, when I was a chaplain at the prison, I used to watch the Muslims on their Friday prayer. And you know, before they ever got down to praying, they had a whole ritual thing they did, bowing and, and, and moving of hands and, and things that they did before they could even get into a position for prayer. And it was the same, you know, you, after you watched it enough times, you knew this was ritual. Things they had to do to get ready to pray. And we've got a lot better. We just go to God and pray. And, you know, and it says he's ready to hear and ready to answer. And, you know, then verse 20, and, and the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not your teachers be removed into the corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers, and your ears will hear the word behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it, and when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. And this is kind of interesting. God lets adversity and affliction come into our life so that it will be, and this is kind of interesting, so that it will be a teacher. And, you know, how many times do we go through hard times and we're going, God, I don't want to go through a hard time? And for human, probably every time. But you know, 
God lets these things happen for a reason. We don't always know what that reason is when we're going through it. But the good news is, and this verse is basically saying the same thing, that God is there guiding us. Same thing that we say from the New Testament, that all things work together for good. Why? Because God is there. In the midst of everything we go through, God is there. And he's trying to teach us, he's trying to teach us mostly to depend on him. Because when we go through the hard times, that's usually when we'll make the most mistakes because we try to do things our own way. Well, God, you know, uh, my house just burnt down. I've got to go take out a loan to put a new house up. And I'm going to put it up in the same exact spot. And maybe God's saying, well, I want you to move someplace else. That's why I burnt your house down. I burnt your house down so you would move someplace else. Or will you trust me to put a new house up? You know, we, we automatically jump into it and say, God, I'm going to fix this. And this is how I'm going to fix it. And oftentimes don't spend enough time in prayer letting God be our provision. God, you know, all these bad things are happening, and I'm going to do this. And God's saying, well, uh, I wish you to talk to me and listen to me. I have a plan. I have a plan. And then you get out, get past your plan, and find out that it was really a dumb plan in the first place, and you're stuck in it. I have been there many times where I've done that. You know, that's part of the problem of being a manager mentality. You fix problems. <laughs> And sometimes I fix my own problems without including God in my processes and come out to the other side of the problem and go, wow, that, nothing seemed to have worked. You know, uh, God, what should I have done after I've made a big, bigger mess out of, the, out of it? When we're in the midst of this, we need to realize that's the time to be quiet and listen to that voice that says behind us, this is the way, walk you in it and not be walking in our own way. Now, to hear God's voice, we have to be quiet and still once in a while. And in our day and age, that's getting harder and harder to do. Uh, and, you know, it really, when I was a teenager, I was one that I always had to have sound around me. Always. I had to have a radio on or a TV on in the background. Uh, used to drive my stepmom crazy because I'd be doing my homework with the Christian radio station on behind me, listening to the Christian radio and doing my homework. And she would go, how can you, you're supposed to be doing homework. I am. You know, how can you be doing homework and listening to your radio? You know, it was just, it was the way that I grew up and the way most of this generation has grown up. Silence in this generation is a hard thing to find at times. And it, you know, and it used to drive me crazy. If it was silent, I, it drove me crazy because I was trying to find out what I would hear everything going on. And yet, there's times when we need to be silent before God and listen to his voice. And usually we get so busy, so, so active that we're distracted and not listening to his voice. And so it's very important to be quiet, at least in our spirit. You know, one of the things about prayer is so often when we pray, we spend all our time talking to God. And sometimes we need to be quiet and let God talk to us. And that's a difficult thing. No, blowing to sleep is not what you're supposed to do when you're... But it is so easy, though, when you stop and listen to end up falling asleep. 
it may be that you go before and just read, just read the scriptures, just to say, God, speak to me through the scriptures. But God is, is seating, waiting and he's saying, this is what you're supposed to do. And we need to spend more time listening to God, more time asking God what to do. And not just jumping, at, you know, jumping out and doing things our way. Uh, and I'm really good at doing that myself. Making a big mess and then trying to figure out, okay, God, now, now what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. now, 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 now that I've really messed things up, God, what are we going to do to fix it? <laughs> and in this kind of verse is why I'm happy about that he does listen and that he is gracious. Because he could, have, he could be saying, well, you made the mess, you, go, you, you just uh, stay in that for a while. And God is so gracious and loving that he still says, okay, now that you're ready to listen, let's, let's lift you up. And he wants, to be, he wants us to wait. He wants us to be patient. And oftentimes he gives us what we, what we wanted. He just says, are you listening? And it may be the right thing to do sometimes. But we just need to step back and say, God, I'm listening. And he'll guide, you know, he'll guide and direct, you know. And it's so, so wonderful that he says, and I love this, and your ears shall hear the word behind you saying, this is the way walk you in it when you turn to the right or turn to the left. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing that God will guide if we're just still and listening. Usually we get down the road and go, okay, God, I've made these five turns. Where was I supposed to go? Uh, back four turns and go back the other direction. Uh, Elijah running, running away and God saying, what are you doing here? Get back to where you're supposed to be. After he'd gone 400 miles south, he goes, okay, God says, go back, go back north where I told you to be. Okay, and that's usually the problem. Ways away in some other direction from where God is telling us to go, and when we finally slow down and listen to Him, He goes, "Okay, now go back to where you're supposed to be." Uh, God, it was dangerous back there. Yes, but I'm back there. Uh, you know, so it's it's a wonderful thing, and you know, and but God is patient. He says, "Okay, you wasted a lot of time. Now go back to where I want you to be. Go do what I told you to do in the first place." You know, Abraham wandering leaving the Ur of Chaldees and stopping in Haran for years until his father dies before he finally does what he's supposed to do, which was to go to the promised land. Because he was supposed to leave with no family and he took his father with him. And then he got stuck and had to wait. Or didn't have to wait, but waited. <laughs> and then finally started doing what he was supposed to do decades later. Hopefully, we don't take decades to get to where we're supposed to be. Some of us have done that. I think the longest I've done is seven years, but, but uh, some people have taken decades not listening to God. Now, nobody's done a century. None, none of us lived that long. Uh, it might seem like it, but no. But, you know, we end up saying, God, what is it you want me to do? And listening. And God sometimes will send us back to where we started from to say, all right, go back to where you last, what I last told you to do and go do it. And that's usually what he'll tell us. Because this is good advice I've heard many times from pastors. When you don't know what God's wanting you to do, go back and do the last thing you know he told you to do. Because usually he's waiting for you to do what he told you to do in the first place. 
and Abraham had to go do what he was told to do. Because there's no indication that God talked to him all that time that he was in Haran. Because that's not where he was supposed to be. And when he started moving, God started talking to him. When he went back on the road and started doing what he was supposed to do and that what he knew he was supposed to do. And it's pretty important for us to start saying, God, what is it you've told me to do? And go do it. And uh, verse 22 this is kind of an interesting. You shall defile the coverings of your graven images of silver and the ornament of your molten images of gold. You shall cast them away as menstrual cloths. You shall say unto thee, get you hence. Defile the coverings. You know, in other words, you're going to destroy your idols. And this is pretty strong language when he gets right down to it. You know, menstrual cloth. You know, we're not going to cover that too much because we all know what that means um, you know, as we're looking at that. But, you know, uh, you know, bloody tissues from the menstrual period that he says you're going to get rid of it. You know, you're going to treat your idols that way. You know, and what a wonderful thing because Israel never did do this. This is why I kind of believe we're, we're definitely going into the millennial kingdom when things get cleaned up. Israel is going to come out of the tribulation period barely surviving. And it says that if God hadn't taken them and protected them for the latter part of it, that they would have been destroyed. Satan is out to destroy Israel at the end of this tribulation period. He wants them wiped out. And we've talked about this. Why does he want them wiped out? Because he wants God's word to not be true. If he can wipe Israel off the face of the earth, None of God's promises can, can happen. If he can wipe them off the face of the earth during the tribulation period, the millennial kingdom can't happen because that's God reigning his people of Israel and the rest of the world, but primarily Israel. And so Satan's goal is always to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, which is why they have so much persecution of the Jews. Now, Christians get persecuted because we're God's people, but the Jews... Everything about the Jews are the prophecies that Satan wants to wipe out. So he is trying very hard to wipe them out. He tried to wipe them out before Jesus was, was born so that he could wipe out the, the Messiah from coming. You know, after that, it's all because if he can wipe out Israel, he, he, may, he says, well, see, God, you, you said that they were going to be your people. I wiped them out. You, can't, you, know, you didn't know what you were talking about. And God's going to protect his people. And... When they come out of it, they're going to get rid of all their idols. They're going to get rid of their things. And they're going to start listening. Listening, you know, They're going to recognize Jesus. And I can't remember which of the minor prophets, but there's a verse in the minor prophets when they look at Jesus and say, who gave you these stripes? And he says, I got them from a friend. <laughs> you know, I got them from my friend. <laughs> you know, telling Israel, basically, you did it. <laughs> and... Uh, but not just Israel, but all of us all together. You know, when Jesus took those, he took it for us. And we look at this and he says, you're going to get rid of all of your idols. And you're going to treat them completely with contempt. Because nobody keeps a bloody cloth around and saying, well, I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to keep this around just for, for good measure. <laughs> you know, I, might, I might want to reuse it. <laughs> you know. No, we don't do that. You know, if, whether it's a bandage or 
or, or uh, anything else. We do not keep a bloody cloth around. We just, we get rid of it and you, know, you don't reuse them. <coughs> they're, they're worthless. And uh, he says, this is what's gonna happen. Then he goes, and then you shall give rain for your seed and you shall sow the ground wherewith and the bread of the increase of the earth and it shall be fat and plenteous in that day and your cattle shall feed in large pastures. Great blessings. Now Israel has experienced many times where God has blessed them. You know, during David's reign, during Solomon's reign, and even from what we looked at, you know, last night's study, even during Saul's reign, there was blessings in, in Israel. Israel today has great blessings. They are prosperous as a, as a nation. They are producing more uh, produce and, and technology out of that little tiny country of theirs, and they feed Europe. And their technological advances are phenomenal in the world. And God is blessing them even today in special ways because they are his people. Not because they're worshiping him, because they're not as a nation. Not because they're honoring him, because they're not as a nation. But because he said, I'm going to bless you. That was his promise to Abraham. And the promise to Abraham was unconditional promise that, that Abraham's seed would be blessed. And those that blessed Israel would be blessed. Now God has judged them as he's getting ready to hear as, as Isaiah preaches and Jeremiah. God has judged them and put them because of their total disobedience. But he's also blessed them in, in so many ways and so many times because of his promise to Abraham. And here he says one more promise. You're, you know, you're going to have, your cattle are going to be fed and you're going to produce. And this one could be looking at today, but it's going to be multiplied so much more during the millennial kingdom. And it says your, your oxen likewise and your young donkey, donkeys that ear the ground shall eat corn, a clean provender, which has been winnowed and shoveled with, and with the fan. In other words, good food. Excellent food. I mean, this is, they're not, you know, this idea of clean provender that has been winnowed and, sh and shoveled and fanned, you know, they're not eating the, the, the sticks and the chaff and all that. They're eating the best. That was what, you know, when you, when you did all the winnowing and fanning the grain, that was what was left is what you made your bread out of. That's what the humans ate. You know, what we ate, eat, eat. You know, we eat the best of the stuff that's left over. And they're going, this is what your cattle are, you know, at this particular point, your cattle are eating the best food. They're not eating the sticks and the straw and everything that is left over. They're eating, there's so much good food. The people are being well fed and even your animals are eating the best. Now, today we don't do that with our animals. We give them better food than probably ever in, ever in history, but we're not necessarily feeding them you know, the same food we eat on our tables, you know, they, they still get the straw and the, and the other stuff. Can you imagine how prosperous it is at this point if they're getting, if you're feeding your animals, your ox, your donkeys, your, they're getting the best food, the stuff that you, you know, there's so much food that you can feed them the best. They're not getting the leftovers. Maybe the, maybe the best is a leftover, I don't know. But this, you know, this picture is of extreme prosperity you know, to, the, to the nth degree. Uh, and in, 
Then verse 26, And there shall be upon every high mountain and every high hill rivers and streams and waters in the day of that great slaughter when the towers fall. So he says, pure water. Pure water. Now, pure water is getting hard to find in our, in our world right now without it being purified. You know, the good news for the millennial kingdom is that God is going to return it to almost Eden-like conditions. The animals will, will lay, the lion will lay with the lamb and the, and the fox and the, the wolves will lay with the lamb so the children can, can sit at the asp's den and, and play with the asps and, and not, be, not be bit. Uh, you know, life will be extended back to, to longevity. Uh, there'll still be sin. God's going to rule with an iron rod because man still has a sin nature at that point in time. But he's going to rule with an iron rod. And he's going to stop sin pretty much in its track as it gets going. You know, and you want to think about it, you know, where are we headed to now, nowadays is a lot of these thought police type crimes. You, know, you're, you're, you didn't just commit a murder, you created a, a hate crime. You, know, you, you hated the person, so that is extra and above. Now, how they know your mind is another story altogether. It's just what they decide is hate. But God actually will know. You know can you imagine having God be your judge? <laughs> You know, uh, you just think you just think about doing something wrong, and he'll send you know he'll send some uh, angels or somebody over and say, uh, no, you're not doing what you thought. You're, you're guilty already. No, you're not doing it. And he's going to keep sin at bay, not from the mind, but at, at bay during that period of time, so that when Satan is released at the end of the thousand years. For many, for many years, I was wondering, why would anybody go in rebellion with, against God at the end of a thousand years of perfect reign? And the more I started thinking about it, God is going to uh, suppress the activity of sin. People still want to sin, but he's not going to allow them to act it out. And when Satan comes along and says, hey, we're going to go rebel against God, you know, we're going we're gonna to make ourselves God and free ourselves from this repression, lots of the world are going to jump at the chance to say, yeah, it's about time. It's about time that we, you know, get out from under this repressive, you know, you know, thought police people that won't let us do anything. And much of the population will rebel. And it's hard to imagine, you know, but you know, we also know that Adam and Eve fell in a perfect environment and they didn't even have a sin nature to have to worry about. The end of the millennial kingdom is going to fall is very much the same thing, and they have a sin nature that they have to worry, you know, have to deal with. You know, there's going to be a group of people that have been wanting to sin that entire period, and have been kept from doing it. And Satan well, comes they along. Well, the sin nature. Sin nature is still there. You know, it will be the millennial kingdom is the the greatest thing that God will show that the world does not know what they're talking about because what is our big thing the world tells us if we just had a perfect environment where there was no problems and no bad things happening everybody would be good you'd have utopia if there was just no bad influences the millennial kingdom will be that period where no bad influences exist It'll be as close to perfection outside of the sin nature being totally removed as going to be, and yet the sin nature is going to want to sin. Well, do we get raptured? Do we get raptured? Yeah. 
We lose ours. We, we, get our glor we get raptured, we get our glorified bodies. We're not, we're not at a problem once this, this happens. We're, we have our glorified bodies. We have made our decision to follow God, and we are now without the choice of, of we sinning. Have no sin nature, so that's we, we, we made our choice. We made we made our choice. We made our choice, and we're and ours. Ours is set in set. Uh, this is why I believe at some point the angels had a chance, had decisions to make, and they made their sin, you know, choices to stay or or go against God. Satan took a third of the angels away during that period of time, and now they're stuck. They're stuck with their decision. The angels that did the right thing are stuck with their right decision, which is a great thing to be stuck with. I'm looking forward to the day when I'm stuck with my decision to follow God. Uh, and the rest of the world who's rejected him will be stuck with their decision for eternity and can't change it. You know, and they'll want to change it. The, the rich man in hell wanted to change his decision. And God says, nope, it's too late. You know, you're, you're there. You can't, you can't get out of your, your decision. Everybody in hell wants to, wants to be converted. So if the rapture came right now, then it would be the thousand year? Well, you'd have seven years until the seven years of tribulation, and then you'd have the thousand year reign. So, and that's where God ruled the world, but from Jerusalem, and Israel will be exalted to the place that they've been waiting to be exalted to, or the religious Jews have been waiting to be exalted to. They, they'll be raised to the place where the Pharisees and the scribes didn't believe Jesus because Jesus didn't start the, the reign and make Israel the head, head nation of, of the whole world. That's what they had anticipated the Messiah doing. When Jesus came, came the first time, their picture of the Messiah was the person who was going to start the millennial kingdom. Israel's going to be the center. He's, God's going to rule from Jerusalem. Uh, Somebody of David's seed is going to sit on Jerusalem's, the throne in Jerusalem and rule the world. Jesus didn't do that. So they rejected him as Messiah. And when he comes back the second time, he's going to reign from Jerusalem and he's going to reign the, over the whole world. And everybody will be under his rule. The one world government that was trying to be accomplished by Satan will be wiped out and Jesus will rule a one world government with the right king and the right ruler. So and it's kind of interesting, you know, we think about this. Satan always counterfeits what God's trying to do. God's eventual plan is that he's going to rule everything. What is Satan trying to do? Rule everything. You know, so everything we see is, is a copy, a counterfeit of what God plans. And it's always going to be the case. And this is what we said when we did the truth project and everything. God has a truth. Satan has a counterfeit, and sometimes multiple counterfeits, and many options, many counterfeits, because he doesn't care what counterfeit you believe in as long as you don't believe in the truth. And so we're seeing that he will try to do all these different counterfeits. When the Tower of Babel was being built by Nimrod, what was the problem in there? That the people had one language, and they were one, one group, and they had not expanded over the world like they, like they had, were supposed to. God came in, he mixed up the languages, scattered them around the world. What has happened in recent years? We've overcome the language barrier. I mean, technically there were multiple languages, but now we could, you know, if you've got a smartphone, you can translate 
using your phone between individuals and, and communicate, uh, either written or verbally on some of the really newer ones. Uh, we've got one world government being put, brought, brought together. It's not quite here yet, but we're moving that direction. Uh, people are now, the world is small again. Everybody is really back together again. We've returned back to Babel or returning back to Babel, and that is what the end time is all going to be during the tribulation. We're back to Babel. With trying to reach God, you know, getting, getting up false religions out there. You know, big circle. You know, comes up along, Nimrod comes along, builds all the false religions, trying to build a tower to God. You know, we're number one. You know, we, we can do anything. God crushes it, and now we're back to the Tower of Babel. And then we get to the tribulation period, which is the ultimate of trying to do things our way or Satan's way. And God will come back and crush that one again. And then you'll let Satan out after a thousand years to restart everything. It's just an amazing thing how nothing's new. He keeps repeating himself over and over again. Sometimes it's millennia between the repeat. Sometimes it's much less. But everything keeps repeating and returning back. Satan has never had an original idea in his entire existence and keeps doing the same thing. And man is so stupid that we fall for the same thing over and over again. And it's an amazing thing when you look at most of these new religions out there, if you look deep at them, they're just the old religions with new names and new, and new, new uh, outfits. Because there's nothing new. Nothing new that's out there. And God says, at that end, I've got fresh. I've got some fresh things coming. Um, and then, I love this verse 26. It's so interesting. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun. The light of the sun shall be sevenfold The light of the, as the lights of seven days. And in that day, the Lord binds up the breach of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. This is definitely a millennial <laughs> kingdom at the very best. It might even be new, new heaven and new earth at this point. Uh, I can't imagine the sun being as bright as the, as the, uh, the, the moon being as bright as the sun. Uh, I hope you don't have to sleep. <laughs> uh, and the day being seven times brighter. Wow. That's a lot of light. And this is why, when I look at this one, I'm not absolutely sure if this is the millennial kingdom or the new heaven and new earth talking about here because in the new heaven and new earth, there is no moon, no light. There is no need for it. And then you start thinking seven times brighter. I, that would hurt the eyes. <laughs> you know, could they have slipped in some poetic language there? Could be. I'm not going to rule that out. I'm not going to rule that, that out. Um, some people tend to believe that this section is talking about light in the, in the, in the uh, lesser uh, place of light, of uh, truth and doctrine. And in that case, it would be God's giving more and more truth out. I, but you all know that I want to be very careful. I don't like to spiritualize things <laughs> that are in there. This one is hard to understand from a physical point of view because... From a physical point of view, seven times brighter sunlight, we wouldn't even be able to see. You know, that would be just too much light. 
So from a physical point of view, it's either talking about the new heaven and new earth when we have spiritual body, you know, our, our new glorified bodies, or we go into the spiritualization of it and saying it's truth, that he's increasing the truth so, so large. Uh, neither one I really like because it's, it's hard to understand, but, but I don't understand how it can be physically true. I am going to go out on a limb and say that I do believe that this is probably talking about his teaching and doctrine being increased sevenfold because I just can't figure out how physically we could handle that much light in our current, current beings. Now, again, because this is the millennial kingdom and he's restor restoring things, you know, restoring things back to more of what they should be, maybe there's something about our bodies that have changed over the millennia to not be able to accept that much uh, light. Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer on this one. I just know physically right now we couldn't handle seven times more light. We have a hard time handling the light that we have. But if we, and if we multiplied it by seven, wow. that would be, yeah, yeah, it would be some dark sunglasses. Uh, so, but it also says he binds up the breaches of his people and he heals up the stroke of their wound. What a beautiful picture. And this is, you know, that last statement kind of indicates, you know, a lot of things. It, it could, again, the new heaven and new earth where everything's been made perfect and, and renewed. Millennial kingdom where he is restoring health and life and vitality. Uh, people are going to go back to living, you know, hundreds of years, if not the, the majority of the millennial kingdom. You know, God can do what he wants. He could, he could create eyes that could see in a sevenfold brighter brighter light or fix our eyes, you know, who knows what he's done. So, I mean, it could literal, still be literal. This is just one of those places where I look at it and say, God, I don't understand how this can be literal. God, if you want it to be literal, I'll take it literally, but it's just one of those things where it, from our perspective, it doesn't make any sense. Now, having said that, we've got to be careful when anytime trying to say it doesn't make sense to us because the Jews in Jesus' day had an expectation of the Messiah. Yeah, they weren't looking for a Messiah to come and die on a cross and take away the sins of the world. Even though the Old Testament clearly taught that, they ignored it. So I'm not going to say that it's absolutely impossible to be real. It doesn't appear that it is to me, so I'm going to lean toward truth. But I'm also not going to rule it out because I want to be very careful when I read the scriptures that I go, okay, God, just because I can't understand it means I'm, I'm not going to accept what you wrote. Is not is a very dangerous place to be. And I can make sense out of it spiritually. I can make sense of it being the new heaven and new earth. But I can also make sense that in the new millennial kingdom, that maybe God's doing some miraculous things. And maybe we are so far away from where we're supposed to be that maybe our eyes are supposed to be able to handle that much light. And because of how far we've been ruined by the fall, that God's saying, I'm restoring. And that's something we've got to keep in, because people go, well, why are there so many more diseases and everything? Well, if you're a biblical worldview, it's pretty easy to understand. We are not evolving to better beings. We are de-evolving from a perfect being to a weaker being. And the, our DNA has been so corrupted over the millennia since the fall the diseases are running rampant because our bodies do not handle things the way they did as they were created. 
So it is possible that this is real and God's saying, well, when I, when I restore your DNA for the millennial kingdom, you can handle this kind of light. So I'm not going to rule out that it's a literal verse because I can understand how it could be literal. I also understand how it could be symbolic as well. Uh, but you know, it's, we think about this. What is God going to have people live to be hundreds of years old? What does he have to do to the bodies? He has to heal them. At the level of the DNA that has been corrupted. And this is one of the things you look at. And our scientists want to tell us how much better we're getting, how much better we're getting. And we're more susceptible to diseases than, we, you know, than our previous generations are, have been. And we're getting worse. And yet they want to tell us about how much better we're getting. Now, Adam and Eve were perfect beings. Now, a lot of times when you talk about this, because a lot of times people go, well, where did Cain get his wife? Well, he married a sister. Well, you can't marry your sister. Well, on, when you're dealing with a, one generation from a perfect being, you would have no genetic problems marrying near, near kin. And it really wasn't until the law that was given to Moses that it was completely forbidden, and they were starting to forbid it a little bit before that. But, you know, for, many, for a long time, when there's only a couple thousand people, 100,000 people on the world, you're going to have to marry some close relatives. And even after the flood, you know, before the flood, I don't know how many people there were, but I played one time with uh, some projections, and I believe there was a quarter of a million to as much as three trillion people before the flood, depending on what kind of birth rate you used and death rate you used, and how often and all this other stuff. You know, the lowest number I could attribute was, was a quarter million, and I think that was way too low. Okay, but figuring people living to be a thousand years old, which probably increased productivity years, you know, and no, no indication that there were wars going on at that time, we probably quite easily could have had trillions of people wandering the world before the flood. That's a lot of people, all doing what was right in their own eyes. We're at a place where we have trillions of people on this world pretty much doing what's right in their own eyes. What will happen? Is God ready to bring that final judgment on us? It's getting closer. It's getting closer, and the parallels are there. Large population doing what, doing what they wanted. Large population doing what they want for the most part. Small handful of people following God and God will take them out and say, it's time to judge. Again, nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and we see parallels. It's kind of an amazing thought. What will God do? How much damage has been done to the man's DNA over the, over the centuries and millennia? Sin destroyed everything. And it's an, it is so hard for us to really understand because we live in this imperfect world what would things been like before the fall? With perfect DNA, long life, bodies built to last forever. Adam and Eve, if they had not sinned, would still be alive today. Wow. Because death was a result of sin. Yeah. They're not corruptible. Yeah. Can you imagine? How old are you? Well, I'm, I'm 6,000 years old. <laughs> well, you don't look a day over 30. You know, look exactly like God created me. What, what an amazing thing that would have been. And yet, 
when sin entered this world, death came into our bodies. Disease came into the bodies. Disease came into the world. The world itself was changed. Weather was changed. The plants were changed. The animals were changed. After the flood, animals were given permission to kill you know, for their, for their food. What kind of world would it have been like to not have all of this? We'll find out, yes. <laughs> we'll find out during the Millennial Kingdom when animals don't kill each other and they go back to eating, eating vegetables only. Uh, and then in the new heaven and new earth where everything is made totally perfect. No sin nature to have to worry about. You know, it's just an amazing thought in, you know, at just how much God must grieve. Can you imagine how grieved he is as he looks at this world and says, this is what I created. This is what it should have been. Now he knew that it was going to happen, and which is even harder to understand. And yet he has some plan that says it will all work out for good. He knows the beginning. He knows, he knows he And he knew it even before it yeah. even started. And yet he did it. But there has to be grieving in his heart that, that it, it is, you know, when he looks at it and says, this is not what I had planned. It's not what I wanted. It was not the good plan that I had for everybody. It's just, even though he knew it was going to happen. Because we all have been there where we have a plan and watched it fall apart. And we, okay, we, you know, if you're a good manager, sometimes you can fix problems. But it wasn't quite what you had planned. And it, it works out. Things work out but you have this long detour in between where things just don't seem to be working out. God is that great manager who says, okay, we're going to get where I wanted it to be. The long detour where everybody's making the wrong decisions, but it's going to be worked out. And as we said, you know, when we get to heaven and we see what God, the masterpiece that God has created out of this whole mess that we live in, it's going to be phenomenal. And I, do, and I do like the idea of the tapestry or the needle, needle point as a picture. You know, when you look at it from the, from the wrong side, it looks ugly. But when you flip it over and it's a well-done done art, artistic thing, this is what this world's going to be looking at. We're looking at it from this side and going, God, you know, this is an ugly, you know, what kind of picture are you making up there, God? This is ugly. And God says, just wait till you see it from the right side. Wait till you see what, I've, what, what all this pain and what all this activity has been, been for. And we see it from the other side and go, wow, what a, what a masterpiece you've created. And I'm part of that masterpiece. Everybody in this world is part of that masterpiece. And God says, see, I, I told you, I got a great picture here. And we don't, we don't understand it from this side. All right, we're going to close. This one, this one by really fast. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love, your kindness, your, your desire to bless us. Lord, we thank you that you came and died on the cross so that we could be your children. Lord, if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that they will accept you today and make you their Lord and Savior. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.